Wow, that was really great. Uh, with the worship team and the kids helping out. What a great uh, start to our focused worship time and how perfect that song was for uh, the message this morning. By the way, I mean, obviously when the kids are in here, as of this morning, we are absolutely and utterly packed. Uh, we have to make some decisions even this week about what we're going to do, whether that's to not have the kids in the service at all or go back to two services. At any rate, we need your information. If we don't have your information, if we don't have your email address, we need it because we will be making some decisions soon. And at any point, we may end up having to go back to two services. So please give it to us. Back at the information booth after the service, David, we'll um, make sure that somebody is there so that they can take your information if we don't have it. Um, wow, 72 to nothing. That was pretty impressive. Uh, football by Campbell, almost as impressive as five turnovers, 94 penalty yards, and still winning in Chapel Hill. No, 72 nothing is far more impressive, I would say. Uh, quite, quite a day. 76 to nothing. Oh, forgive me for shorting. <laughs> shorting the football team. <laughs> Better than I thought, even. Wow, what a day that must have been. Well, uh, next Sunday's going to be a very special Sunday uh, as well here at Grace Community Church. We're going to be having a baptismal service. And if you have never been baptized, if you've never followed the Lord in, in, in that step of obedience, if you've never shown to the world, told the world, and told Jesus, I'm following you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. And please see me today. We have to know almost immediately. We added one more this morning, and so we're up to three people being baptized next Sunday. So um, please um, see me if you are interested in that. We want to talk with you, and also we're going to do some videos for next Sunday. Um, speaking of videos, we're not doing a commercial this morning, even though Rhett uh, McLaughlin is here with us. Um, and it's good to have all the McLaughlins back from California. We have missed you terribly and glad to see you for a short time before you move to that evil, wicked place permanently. <laughs> Hollywood, California. You won't be living in Hollywood. Though. Well, another big emphasis today all over our country, and I'll be touching on that a little bit later. But, but I want to ask you first, if I were to ask you, have you lived an exciting life? How would you respond? I, your response would be structured to some degree on how you think about excitement. For instance, if, if travel is exciting to you, you might say, oh yeah, 46 of the 50 states. Or I've been in 10 countries on, on four different continents, so I've lived an exciting life. Or you, you might say, no, no, Raleigh, I, I would like to travel. Uh, Raleigh's as far north as I've, been, as I've been, Fayetteville's far south as I've been. I mean, I'm hoping someday to get the south of the border. I've seen the signs. But so, no, really not much of an exciting life. And, and look, we could do that with any number of different subjects and topics. But let me ask you a few specific questions. Anybody here ever been in a hurricane? Now, if you were here when Fran came through, you know, quite a few of you. All right, more specifically, have you ever been on a ship at sea in the middle of a really bad storm? Anybody? Okay, several. All right. The 
uh, perpetual cruisers. David and Trula Gray have been in that kind of a situation. Um, how about this? Ever been up close and personal in a demonstration? Uh, where, you know, people were demonstrating about different social issues. Sometimes that could be religious issues. Ever been in a riot? Anybody here in a riot? How about, wow, we've got somebody in a riot back here. (laughs) All right, she's got a red tag on, so we we need to know this woman. And we need to keep an eye on her, too, this morning. (laughs) How about, uh, you ever been in a courtroom in in the middle of of a very dramatic trial? Anybody here? Quite a few of you uh, have been. Last question. Uh, well, no, not next to last question. You ever been in a courtroom where someone was on trial for his or her life? Anybody in that category? All right, several of you again. Uh, last question, and if you raise your hand, I'm really going to be uh, uh, interested in this one. Have you ever been in a courtroom where someone was on trial for his or her his life? Let's just say his life. And his testimony caused a riot. Anybody here in that category? If you could have answered E, all of the above, you would clearly be the most, you would have led the most interesting life of anybody here. We just finished reading about such a person this past year when we went through the book of Acts, talking about, of course, the Apostle Paul, who lived all of those things, went through every single one of those circumstances, and in fact, when he was taken as prisoner to Rome, he eventually had an appearance before the most powerful man in the world at that time, in the Western world. Uh, and I'm talking about Caesar, of course. We followed Paul's life, or, or you could say that we entered his story somewhere along the middle of the book of Acts and followed him to the end where he made his way to Rome. And Romans, I mean, excuse me, Acts 28, the last two verses of Acts 28 give us the thrilling conclusion of his story. Let's read those, Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And... and And that's it. But that's not the thrilling conclusion that we might have expected. I mean, it's great that he, he preached in Rome for two years with all boldness and without hindrance. He preached the Lord Jesus Christ. But the book of Acts ends without a satisfactory conclusion at all. And it does so intentionally. The 28 chapters of the book of Acts tell about the establishment of the early church and the growth of the early church. But that's all it tells. It just tells about the beginning of of, of Jesus Christ's church. We are presently living in the 29th chapter of Acts. Furthermore, even though we mention Paul as being prominent figure in the story story that is told in, in, in the book of Acts, The story is really about God and about the establishment of Jesus' church on this earth. Having said that, Paul, Peter, John, Stephen, Agrippa even, Felix, Bernice, all of these people participated in that story. They were all 
role players in the story of God in the first century. And even though the people and the activities that comprise Grace Community Church will never be written down in a book, at least we hope not, uh, because it might be the wrong way, we'll never be in a book, certainly not a book that's going to become Scripture. Nevertheless, we are living in the 29th chapter of Acts, the place where our story is being told. But it's really not our story. This story continues to be the story of Jesus Christ moving in the earth. But we get to be participants in this story. We're all a part of the story. Now, when you read through the Bible, which catalogs God's story from creation through the establishment of Jesus' church in the first century, certain themes become prominent. Some of the more prominent themes in Scripture are creation, Fall, redemption, and restoration. As the story unfolds and develops through Scripture, we see God's sustaining hand in all of the universe. And at the center of the Bible, and indeed at the center of the story, is Jesus. So over these next several months, we're going to be considering our our place in God's history in this series titled, The 29th Chapter. We'll be answering a lot of questions along the way such as, what is God's story? We're actually going to be covering that one today. And where do I fit in the story? And who says so? Anyway, is there an authority that is bigger than we are, or is the preacher just one voice amongst many? When I was thinking about this, this particular point, I thought about an incident I had about a year and a half ago, and I didn't think I'd told this story, but I, upon further reflection, I think I had, but a lot of you haven't heard it anyway. I ran into <clears throat> Ashley and Isaiah Tanas at, at Elliott's Drugstore about a year and a half ago, somewhere along in there, and sat down and we talked for a while. In addition to being a member here, Ashley is my cousin, and we were, we were talking. I mean, distant cousin, but, you know, in Fuquay, sixth, seventh cousin. What's a big, no big deal about that. Not quite that far, but close. But, but so we talked for a while, and then I said, well, I'm going to have to be going and uh, Ashley said, Isaiah, Pastor Brad has to go to work. And he said, he only works on Sundays. <laughs> and, and then Ashley said, Isaiah, Pastor Brad works hard. And she said, how hard is it to talk into a microphone and tell people what to do? <laughs> I'm not kidding, that's what he said. <laughs> but considering the people that I talk to every week, harder than you think, Isaiah. Harder than you think. It it really does, though, raise a good question about authority, doesn't it? I mean, what right do I or or David or Sean or or the elders or the deacons or the home group leaders or the Sunday school teachers or the women's ministry leaders have to, to speak for God? What is our authority when we speak with God, for God? Is there an authority bigger than our own personal understanding of the world or is my story different from your story with regard to the authority over our lives look this is a this is a very big day in our our country and a lot of people are saying a lot of different things and I, I didn't hear about the controversy at the end of the week but but those who view the world that that most of us tend to view it were were excluded I believe from from some of the ceremonies going on uh, especially in New York, and so there are a lot of different understandings, worldviews, philosophies being uh, 
expressed this morning as we remember 9-11. So, so why should you listen to me or anybody else in our church who claims to speak for God? During this series, we're, we're going to try to spend time <clears throat> understanding why exactly we believe that this book, and this book rightly understood and proclaimed, has authority over our lives, and why God, that is, has authority over our lives. And we're going to think about <clears throat> why exact, exactly we meet at church and in individual homes <coughs> at other times, and why we've structured our church the way that we have, and about our level of involvement in the church, and if we want to be on the front lines of the kingdom of God, and at the center of God's story, even though technically we are a part of God's story, whether we think we're participating or not. But do we want to be in the center of the story, or do we want to be on the periphery? Just sort of passive participants in the story, like the movie Jim Carrey was in years ago. What was it? Uh, I can't remember the name of it, where he found out he was in a movie at the end, you know. That's, uh, what was it? Truman Show, yes, that's right. Well, this morning, we're going to give a little more attention to to the storyline of Scripture. Here again is one way to understand the way that Scripture is structured. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. By the way, using these themes can be a very effective way of of sharing the gospel with people. People especially who are more into story than those who are more into logical arguments one way or another. Lots of different ways we can share the gospel. This is one of those those ways. And, And repeat what I said earlier, you'll find Jesus in the middle of God's story. Now, this introduction has been a little longer than, than usual this morning because it's introduced not only today's message, but the entire series. Our text for this morning is the entire first chapter of the book of Colossians. Now, obviously, we're not going to examine it at the level that I, I would really like to. We, we, we'd spend several weeks if we were going to be doing that. But you're going to see all of these themes here, creation, fall, restoration, or redemption and restoration. Uh, in fact, all of these themes are all the way through Scripture. My goodness, we see them all in the first three chapters of Genesis. As we read our text this morning, Colossians 1, 1 to 29, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to see yourself right in the middle of God's story. And as you're doing that, since I'm confident that you can think about more than one thing at a time, I want you to Look for these themes and identify these themes in the book of Colossians. And in your mind, just say creation, redemption, uh, fall, or the effects of the fall, restoration, future hope, future restoration. Because that's what restoration is talking about when when the world is put back ultimately like it was. And in fact, almost any time you see the word hope in the New Testament, that's what it's talking about. The day when all wrongs are are made right, when when justice is fully served, when there's no more anything, including our own sin. There's none of that that we have to contend with. That's our hope, a future day. It's a certainty that we have in our hearts and minds about what is to come. But you be thinking about all of these as we go through the book of Colossians. Look also for God's sustaining hand in all of creation and see 
Just see if you can't find Jesus somewhere in this text. I don't think you'll have a problem, really. We're going to be reading this morning from the English Standard Version. And as is our custom at Grace Community Church, we'll stand as we read this text. It'll be a, <coughs> a lengthy, lengthy text. And I'm going to read slowly so you can get these themes. Paul, an apostle of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. <clears throat> Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before the before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed it has the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it is also among as, as it also does among you. I think I'm gonna have to look at this bigger print. I it's a difficult day. All right. <clears throat> Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, at the end of verse 6, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, 
which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God, which is given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, and what, a, what an interesting way to state this. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Let's pray. To God be the glory. Father, in these ways that you reveal yourself, you also glorify yourself. And on this day, we glorify you in our own hearts and minds. And as has already been stated this morning, we have come, it was stated in in, in our prayer time before we came into here. We come first to worship you and then to strengthen and encourage one another. And there's so much, Lord, that you want to teach us on this day so open our hearts and may we not only listen but may we hear absorb and ultimately apply your word for it's in Jesus name that we pray amen thanks and be seated so where were you on 9-11 If you are old enough to remember the events of that day in which the Twin Towers came down, that beautiful, brilliantly beautiful September morning. It was beautiful here. It was beautiful in New York. And if you're old enough to remember, you know exactly where you were on that day and you know exactly how long it took you to get to a television. It was... And it remains for most of us, for most of us, the most significant day in our country's history, in our lifetimes anyway. And it was and is a part of God's story. And how do you make sense of that? How do you make sense of of a tragedy like that When you say it fits into God's plan, is God responsible for 9-11? If you say it's all part of his story, then was God responsible? How you answer that is going to depend somewhat on your theology. And certainly you're not going to say callously, yeah, he's responsible, get over it. Your answer is going to be theologically stated and it's going to be nuanced. But there are two things that we all can agree on, all of us who know anything about God's Word. First of all, He is sovereign. He's in charge. And two, He is good. 
And when there are times when we try to make sense of something that we think is horrific and we say, wait a minute, God's in charge? I thought he was good. He is good. Our perspectives are, are incredibly limited. Incredibly limited. And 9-11 is a part of God's story. And so is the remarkable revival that's occurring in Africa. And at the same time, the devastating famine in Somalia. Somalia and nuclear proliferation in developing countries. And the thousands of people who are saying yes to Jesus every day in China alone. Thousands of people every day trusting Christ. And so is the, the ransacking this week and weekend of the Israeli embassy in Cairo. As citizens of this country, the, the collapse of both twin, twin towers at the hands of terrorists, burns in our hearts along with the images that are forever seared in our minds from the events of that day. Who could have anticipated such a scene? I think one of the reasons that we're so horrified about 9-11 and why we feel so terribly unsettled in these days about the state of our economy is because we have come to enjoy the best of God's creation. And those of us who routinely criticize people for having an entitlement sort of an attitude and expecting hands at, handouts from the government, we feel entitled ourselves for it to always be the way that it is right now. I mean, I was born in this country, and I've worked hard to get where I am. And so we feel entitled that we will always enjoy God's blessing unmarred by pain. Can you imagine what this earth was like before the fall? No sickness, no natural disasters, no crime, no unbearably hot or cold days, no sin at all. Absolute and utter perfection. The earth... The seas and the land, the animals, the fish, and perfect man and woman. When God put Adam to sleep and he, and he, and he performed the first surgery and he pulled the rib out and he made a, a, a woman and Adam came to, he had a comment about the surgery. He said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, because she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Scholars emphasize the words, at last. If Etta James had been on the scene, she would have sung the song. The controversy with Beyonce would have come after the fall. It would have been lady. Another way to translate what Adam said when Eve stood before him, as, like, as so many of you men have said when you first saw the lady who is now your wife, is, wow! Or, you know, in the in the newer translations, it might be hubba hubba, you know. I mean, that's what he was, he was like, whoa, look at this gorgeous creature in front of me. What did Adam and Eve owe their creator? Everything. It's an easy answer. Not only did God create and own them, but he had created this beautiful, perfect earth for them to enjoy. 
so long as they didn't enjoy the creation more than the creator. And he only gave them one rule to obey. Don't eat the fruit from that tree right over there. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't, you don't want to mess with that. Just leave it alone. Furthermore, he gave them fair warning because on the day that you eat it, what was the penalty? You'll die. And they did. They began to die. They died spiritually and they began to die physically. It's amazing, is it not, that Adam and Eve could not tolerate this one restriction (coughs) even in the face of severe consequence. It's amazing, that is, until we recognize how we do the very same thing to our Creator. How we despise Him in His commands, even in the face of severe consequence. We don't like His or any other authority in our lives when it comes right down to it. We like order. We like structure. But we don't like authority. <clears throat> you know the story. Adam and Eve, tempted by Satan, succumbed and they ate the fruit of that one tree that was restricted to him. And the consequence was devastation, not only for Adam and Eve, but for all who would be born on this earth. In the same ways that you are genetically disposed, predisposed to certain diseases, and there is nothing that you can do about it, no matter how much you exercise, how healthy you eat. If you are genetically predisposed, you can fight it off for a little while maybe, but eventually it's going to get you. And there's nothing you can do about it, at least in our day. They're working hard to, to correct that. And maybe they'll, they'll, they'll come up with, <clears throat> with it to some degree and don't get all excited about, well, we're playing God. Look, antibiotics, are. I'm, I'm glad for it. I hope they come up with some ideas that will help us. But, but, but just like there's nothing we can do, nothing will ever be done from our efforts about sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, we all sinned right with them. And it was passed down from generation to generation to generation. We all inherited the sin nature. <clears throat> That they assumed on that day. Every pain in our bodies. Every natural disaster. Every act of evil that men and women commit. Every automobile accident. Every genetic defect. Every broken relationship. Every test that is flunked. Every plant that dies. Every drought. Every flood. Every death. Whether it's at 110 years of age or 110 minutes old. Every ship that sinks at sea, every shark attack, every act of disobedience is a result of the fall. 9-11 is a result of the fall. The worst and most dire consequences of the fall is that our sin has separated us from our Creator. Furthermore, God's active anger God's righteous anger, rather, is active in all of creation. The very earth groaning under the burden of sin. Some of you are going to go home and pull weeds out of your garden this afternoon. The earth groans under the weight of sin. And according to Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is continually and continuously being revealed against all sin. With all of our lives in and in death, 
and all of us on a day-to-day basis experiencing little minor frustrations all the way to major pain and loss as long as we live on this earth. Romans 8 tells us what we already know. Futility is a part of our everyday lives. Even those of us who enjoy so much, life's hard. It's just hard. So what? So, so what about all of this? Is, is God a celestial being who is, is ticked off and getting even with us? He's anything but. He is holy and he must require righteousness or perfection from us. Did you get that? He must, because of his character, he cannot wink at sin. He cannot allow us to live in our fallen condition and to be okay with him. He made it perfectly. He made this creation perfectly. But the fall has messed everything up. And you know, we're going to be thinking about the church this year. We're going to be thinking specifically about Grace Community Church in the middle of all of this story. But one of the first things we need to say about church is, we, we, we talk, it's very popular today to talk about being a first century church. And, and, and it's a very appropriate desire. I mean, the model is laid out. The instructions are given. Exactly how it's when the church was established and the Lord said, this is the way I wanted to go. But when you read scripture and when you read church history, you'll find out that, that church was messy in the first century, just like it's messy in the 21st century. And, and, and we, you know, tend to say, well, I never. Well, it, it's life. It's any organization. Why? Because of the fall. Thank God for the next chapter in his story. Redemption. We read in Colossians 1 that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. Now that doesn't mean that everybody is made right with God. There are specific requirements. Repentance of sin and belief that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to absorb God's wrath against our sin. But he is in the process of making things right All that was wrong will be made right. That's ultimately restoration. But he is redeeming all things to himself by the blood of his cross. The blood of his cross, while it only is effective for people who say, I believe as far as salvation is concerned, his cross has an effect on all of creation. And he's working at redeeming all things to himself. He couldn't, God couldn't redeem his fallen creation by by just pretending that the fall had never happened. Even right after Adam and Eve sinned, what did he do? After he pronounced judgment on them, he also pronounced hope in Genesis 3.15 and, and, and promised redemption. But even for Adam and Eve, he killed an animal and sewed clothes for them, made clothes for them to cover their nakedness, which was not previously a problem, but now... It became a symbol of their shame. Blood was required to satisfy God's righteous requirements against sin. And since no creation, no sacrifice from the creation was sufficient to, to deal with our sin, then Jesus, who as we're told in Colossians 1, is the creator, came to this earth. God sent his son Jesus 
And he became a perfect sacrifice and redeemed the fallen creation for all who would believe in him. Peter shared the same truth in his first letter to the Christ followers in the church, churches at Asia Minor in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Christ, our Redeemer. So does redemption equal perfection? Well, obviously not. Not in this world. Anyway, talking with uh, Justin Hartman a couple of weeks ago, and I told his dad, I said, yeah, talking with Justin, but couldn't do anything with him. And Justin said, what can you do with perfection? I said, I had to say, touche. It was a great line. I mean, I I just, you know, wish I could think that quickly on my feet. Uh, But what makes it funny is we all know Justin's kidding. I mean, there's no such thing as perfection in this life, no matter how much we try to convince ourselves that we are that way. There is no perfection in this world. We've been delivered from the curse of sin, but not from the effects of sin. We still get sick. Our cars wear out, as do our computers. And, and what was I going to say next? And while much of the world suffers from want, from a lack, we often suffer from our excess. Eventually, unless Jesus returns in in our lifetime, we will all die. But Jesus is reconciling the world and the universe to himself. All we have to do is respond. Now, when we, we think about Jesus reconciling the world to himself, we tend to think about our own personal context, the story in which we are so, with which we are so uh, intimately acquainted, which is why 9-11 has such an impact on us. And it's appropriate that we think about life in our context. You know, I've said this before, but it's just good for just a lot of different things and ways for us to think about life. When my wife Linda was was sick and dying, people would talk to me about problems, and they'd say, they'd say their problem, and then they'd say, but, but it's nothing compared to what you're going through. And I, yes, that's true. And, and, and I hope to the Lord you never have to go through that. But what you're facing right now is a big deal to you. And it's right that we live our lives in the context. Don't go around all the time feeling guilty because it's not your child that's starving like it is those children in Somalia. It breaks our hearts. We live in this context, but we do need to recognize that there is a larger context. And not only is God redeeming a situation in our lives, in, a, in America, and in our particular neighborhoods maybe, in reconciling all things to himself, but he is just as much at work in the slums of Sa- Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Kampala, Uganda. He is redeeming those pe- 
some of those people and he's redeeming that situation and reconciling to himself people who will live their entire lives in some of the worst slums in the world. Furthermore, Jesus is sustaining the universe and he is not at all caught by surprise with global warming. Though, don't think I am dismissing the importance of our stewardship of the beautiful earth and universe that that our Creator has given us. We'll talk so much more about Jesus' redemption in in the chaos of our world during this series. For now, we're going to close with the hope that is in the last chapter of God's story. The chapter, by the way, that will never end once it gets going. Restoration. One day, all of this is no more. Has that ever really meant something to you? Has it ever meant a big deal to you that, that one day all of the pain, if, if not, then chances are that you've never experienced pain at a really high level. If, it's, if the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope that we are going to be with God for all eternity in the new heaven and the new earth has never meant anything, then perhaps you've not suffered enough. And suffering can be God's beautiful gift to you to prepare you for that day. That day when all will be made as it was, just like it was when God created the earth and man enjoyed the unspoiled beauty of the Garden of Eden. But when you think about it, our joy in the new heavens and the new earth is going to be exponentially greater than was that of Adam and Eve because we're going to sing the song of the redeemed. And the marks in Jesus' wrist and in his side will remind us the price that was paid for us to be there. And we will get it in our immortal bodies. We'll get it. The last chapter of God's story, though still to be written, should have great impact on our lives where we live today. So let's close by reading again those last verses of Colossians 1, which give meaning and purpose to present suffering as we look to the day of full restoration, especially... when suffering is the result of of our ministry. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. And before we go on, just say God's, the way God understands, the way God his design things and the way he looks at things is so much bigger than we are. And when we suffer, regardless of the type of suffering that we are enduring, it's a part of his story. It's a part of the plan. And it's all just right. It feels horrible at the moment. And the more we are connected to this earth, the, the, the worse it feels. The more we understand that our hope is in Jesus Christ the better we feel about the suffering. Can, can we say it like Paul? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up 
what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Either Paul really believed or he was touched in the head. That's just, that's just it. One of the two. He, he was not entirely, he was not <clears throat> blessed with all of his mental faculties at that particular point. But his presentation is brilliant. We know that Paul was completely in his right mind. His belief was complete, though. He endured the, the sufferings to make up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. In verse 25, uh, uh, For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. Stewardship from God. We have a responsibility. See, again, we're not to be passive participants in this story, just kind of moving like puppets. We are to be actively fulfilling our responsibilities. The word of God is being fully known, the, made fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints because we have an understanding that is greater in the world all of those people that are giving speeches today and talking about humanity and fellow man and stuff like that aren't acknowledging the fall and so consequently their redemp- the redemption of which they speak is very short sighted it's very limited To them, verse 27, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of His glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is sort of an already not yet kind of a thing. Yes, Paul is talking about maturity in this life, but he's talking about the day also when we will stand before Jesus and be presented perfect because of the work of Christ. Verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Once again, the words of a man who believes that God has a story and though we don't understand it all. Our recognition that it's going to end well and that God is going to receive glory. Our Creator is going to receive glory and that He has made us a beautiful part of the story ought to change the way that we live. I don't know uh, about you. I hate the thought of reading the last chapter of a novel. I, I, I mean, before I read the rest of it. Allison flips over to the back. I say, what are you doing? What are you doing? She says, I want to see how it ends. I said, no, it spoils everything. I'm glad I know how this one ends. The pain is too great apart from our understanding of what will be one day. But because of my understanding that life, all will be made right, I can struggle with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. 
I can work through difficult relationships. I can withstand unemployment. I can face disease with a different, different understanding about life. God's story that doesn't seem beautiful at all at times, especially on a day like today when we think back. But it's just exactly how He wants it to be. And one day, the beauty will be seen in all of its splendor. And Jesus will radiate at a time when there will be no more darkness, no more pain, no more anything, especially no more sin. Let's pray. You know, I'd heard about God when...